a Spring Fox production. This is Resilience Real Time with Peter Sigley. Hi, I'm Simon Cook and welcome to Resilience Real Time with Peter Sigley. I'm delighted to have Peter Sigley with me again today, Chief Knowledge Officer from Spring Fox, to discuss a relatively little known topic, that of emotional labour. For me, this is a really important concept to understand, both in terms of what it is and whether it has a positive or negative effect on us. Hi, Peter. Not to labour the emotion here, but I am excited to have you here today and to discuss this one. Hi, Simon. And I have to say, I was a little worried where you were going to go with our introduction today, knowing your play on words. And so I'm delighted that this is where it's landed. (laughs) No worries. Thank you, Peter. Listen, I've got to be honest, I've heard of the term before, but I confess that it's not something that I'm completely across. What is emotional labour and really what does it look like? I agree, Simon. For many people, this will be the first that they've actually heard of the term emotional labour. In fact, it's been around for a little while. It was first used in 1983 by Ali Hochschild, who is an American sociologist, and she wrote a book called The Managed Heart, which is where the term was introduced. So there are variations around what it means, but a popular view is that emotional labour actually refers to that space where we're really putting in lots of energy to try and deal with something that we're finding really difficult to cope with. Um, A better way to explain this is probably to think about when we've had to really dig deep to keep ourselves in check and actually modify what definitely what we're feeling and at times what we're thinking. For example, when we have to stand up in front of a team to present something and needing to pump ourselves up to do so, so that we can fight our nerves, fight self-doubt, stop being overly critical such that we appear calm and in control and capable. So if we're needing to invest this much effort, what sort of impact will that have on us? It's not hard to guess that this can cause us stress. Uh, So for some, this may mean that they experience distress and panic and possibly even depression. Uh, For many of us, this can just leave us feeling dissatisfied with our jobs. We uh, don't want to be doing that, um, given the sheer effort in what we've got to do at times. And, you know, it can be something quite mild um, from just having that positive greeting every time somebody new comes into the office. And when you particularly when you don't feel like doing that and you're really combating uh, those other feelings that you may be having. So you mentioned dissatisfied with our jobs. Does this only occur at work or is it something that happens elsewhere? Great question. When the term was first used, it was done so in reference to work. So that is definitely the first space or domain that we think of emotional labour. The need for emotional labour at work is often driven by the need to manage the emotional needs of the job. So in particular, with our interactions with team members, uh, supervisors, and even external customers, there's that game face that we're really putting on here at this point. Um, But the term has expanded beyond work, and some argue it applies to our personal lives. And that is not just something that happens at work. Uh, It is something that people may notice in relationships and a really common example is to think about uh, emotional labour involved in a breakup. Uh, We definitely find these events mentally taxing as we think and rethink through what has happened, what went wrong, who is to blame, do you want to fix this? And it's sounding a lot like rumination at this point, doesn't it? It really does sound like rumination. But having thoughts and continuing playing them over and over and getting fixated on the event is one thing. 
but it's the emotional distress that can often result from feeling hurt and sad and shocked and lost and angry. Having all those emotions or any combination of those emotions uh, is really where we're starting to talk about emotional labor because often when we're feeling like that, we're trying really hard to suppress those responses such that we're giving the appearance of being in control or projecting that you're not totally shattered, which is often how we've left or how we are left feeling after a relationship breakdown. So it's fair to say we find the effort in managing our feelings and our expressions in any situation exhausting. And this may result in us disconnecting from those feelings because really what we're wanting to do is protect ourselves. We're really just trying to stop feeling pain. So Peter, I'd ask this in imposter syndrome as well. Just a quick check here. Might this be predominantly something that women experience? Would that be true or do men experience it as well? Yeah, I'm really pleased that you do call me to task and ask me around that perception around is it mostly female or mostly male uh, what is the reality here and look you might well think it's only women who experience emotional labor and most of the material like imposter syndrome does talk about it in terms of women at work it's recognized that women feel that they need to work hard to uphold that impression of being nice and not aggressive and being friendly a team player and that may be fighting against their normal style and style of delivery to fit into a preconceived idea of what's acceptable. But that expanded view of emotional labour that I just spoke about has been used in reference to being present at home. And at home, it can be the need to control the increasing levels of frustration of having to juggle everything, the house, the kids, the meals. And as we know, the statistics still highlight a disparity in the effort of home duties between men and women. But I'm going to say here, Ali disagrees with the use of this term of emotional labour being applied in this forum and noting that there is a difference between mental labour and emotional labour. So I think it's important to really highlight the distinction. It is the act of having to work at managing your emotions because you feel anxious or feel fearful that it makes it emotional labor not because you've just got a taxing load of stuff that you've got to get through so i hope i've been able it's a to really be- important distinction yeah. isn't it? and that makes real sense the difference between mental labor and emotional labor, emotional really, labor. Yeah, that's good Thank you. Uh, So it can mean different things to different people. I think that's important. But in direct response to your question, because I don't think I answered it just yet, uh, we do need to be careful here that we don't just apply the term to women because men can also experience emotional labour. And a simple example of this is always having to put on that happy face or brave face. Gosh, how often do we expect men to do that? Uh, Say when there's been a put down or even a sharp retort, you know, having to manage those emotions to pretend that the comment didn't hit a mark or that you don't feel hurt. And again, this is something that Ali and other researchers have also pushed back on to say that men can also experience emotional labour. So how can we work with emotional labour or more specifically, how do we improve our skill here? It really begins with building emotional awareness and that's something that we've referred to previously. In particular, we're building self-awareness, we're building self-management, social awareness and relationship management. And I hope (laughs) for you and for some of our listeners that you're starting to think about the great researchers in this space. So we're really talking about the work of Daniel Goleman, Richard Boyatzis and Annie McKee. And and we refer to them quite often. Uh, uh, That's exactly where I went to. So let's think about 
exploring some of those uh, items in your list a little bit more, starting with self-awareness. That's a pretty broad term, isn't it? So what are you meaning by this when we're talking about emotional labor? When we talk self-awareness, we do combine our thoughts and emotions. They do tend to come together. And it is here that we gain awareness of our thoughts and feelings. That's what self-awareness means. The ability to name our emotions and having a great emotional vocabulary is a definite skill to develop and in turn build awareness. It helps us to read our own emotions. And this is really the first step. We build on this by understanding what are the triggers of those thoughts and feelings. Why did I feel like that? What just happened here? A further skill is developed when we understand the implications of those thoughts and feelings. How am I coping? How are my relationships being impacted? And I have to say, we really get it <laughs> when we take the time to reflect on this and how it impacts me, but how it impacts others. We hone our skills and develop trust in our gut feel, and we get to understand the information about people and situations that our emotions give us. That's self-awareness. So I think it's there is real merit in recognizing that we are expected to manage our emotions at work and build awareness of situations that trigger us such that we are likely to experience emotional labor and we really want to be able to diffuse that. Right, great. So that's self-awareness. The next thing you mentioned was self-management. Tell me a bit about that. Yes, that's correct. Um, be aware is great, but we also need to be able to manage or control our emotions so that they just don't get in the way of what we're trying to do. We know that if we are upset and really emotional, we're not really present to listen and support others. Uh, likewise, if I'm feeling really angry or worried, it stops me thinking clearly. So again, we're wanting not to suppress emotions, but to understand how to work with them to be productive. Simply, we're choosing how to act to act honestly, to act with integrity, to be steady in our responses to others, regardless of how angry or upset we may be. The ability to do this well is where we build trust. Okay, brilliant. And so the third part of the conversation was social awareness. Let's go there. Let's go there. Social awareness. So this is all about understanding how to change your interactions according to the situations you're in and the people you are with. So this is uh, about being the best version of you. So you're developing skills for both your verbal and non-verbal skills. So when we talk non-verbal, we're talking things like facial expressions. We're talking body language, tone of voice. And it does take effort and it's not easy. I don't want people to think it's easy, but awareness uh, is certainly the first point, but we really want to be getting to this third competency of social awareness. So simply what are we talking about here is about having empathy for others. Not only are we perceiving how others are feeling, but we're showing care about how other people are feeling. So in terms of work, social awareness enables us to read the office politics and to be able to influence, and I think that's a great word, influence how others feel about what we say and what we do. No, we're okay. not changing people. We're not making people. We're influencing people. Yeah, that makes sense. So the last thing you talked about was relationship management. Relationship management, this speaks to our ability to build positive relationships with others. And again, that takes effort. Some people do it naturally well, but most people will still say they need to work on it. And this is where we're great communicators. And it's really important here to uh, avoiding conflict. So great conflict resolution comes out of when we're great communicators and it enables us to work collaboratively. So we're working well with others. So we're able to bring enthusiasm, uh, humor, so important, and kindness into situations. So really what we're doing is bringing back the humanity into 
organizations, human organizations. So when we're not doing this well, well, we don't want to be that toxic team member that most of us have worked with at some point. You know, the one who treats other people with contempt or is at the center of disagreements or compromises team performance. We are instead wanting to be the team member who helps build team cohesion and we're treating others with respect. That's great, Peter. So true to form, and I think this is an important and potentially difficult one in this space. What are the leadership implications here? Oh, for leaders, I'd have to say it starts with creating a space of safety where staff can vent their emotions, particularly after difficult situations. You know, there is benefit in venting, but you do want it to be safe and appropriate. So uh, that may mean providing some time for people to step away from what they're doing and just really let go, uh, ensuring that this space is private so it's not visible to other staff or to clients and nothing worse than hearing somebody rant and rave or seeing that behaviour. It can be really off-putting. And as many of us would recognise, our responses after difficult situations, particularly really difficult situations or interactions, are less than appropriate. So there's lots of really colourful language at times. There's big, broad statements, including gross generalisations. They all you know, all those sorts of things. Uh, and you get the idea uh, that <laughs> it's not a really great space to have others watching you do that. Um, so part of that can also be supporting staff by providing them a trusted person to speak with. So really what you're looking to do is bounce off what may lead to a better self for them so that you're getting to be a better leader, a better team member. So you can use colleagues or leaders HR, for example, or even the Employee Assistance Program to really provide a safe space for that conversation, that trusting relationship. In addition to this, I, if I was wanting to build skill as a leader and not just be responsive to situations, I would certainly focus on building emotional literacy and emotional awareness for staff. And this is something we really miss out in terms of our development. I mean, it certainly wasn't present in my economic studies. We didn't do modules on emotional awareness and emotional intelligence um, when we were studying that competency. Me, so, me either, but it's so vital, isn't it? That absolutely. whole emotional stuff today is something that we need to really work on. Absolutely. And I can't uh, now understand, given that our whole day is around interactions with others, that we are not given those skills and building on those skills more formally through our education uh, I, I see them as fundamental to really how we're operating in society. Uh, lastly, but importantly, I would be focusing on my own skill set here. So seeking feedback on how I act. Am I steady in my responses? So, for example, am I flying off the handle or disconnecting and silent and uh, avoiding conversations when things aren't going well, um, particularly as as I might want them to? Or am I able to disarm conflict or am I contributing to disharmony? Am I being positive yet realistic? So do I project a mood that encourages others to engage and feel safe in doing so? So these skills, the ability to tune in with others, are so-called dynamic resonance. Uh, Richard Byatzis calls this resonant leadership, whereas we would actually call it compassionate leadership. So there's a lot to be said here about fostering that compassionate leadership space. Yeah, and I know that you do a lot of work in the compassionate leadership space too. Thanks, Peter. What a great summary of emotional labor. And I love the way the discussion was so structured with self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, 
and relationship management as key elements. I've personally got a much better understanding of emotional labor now. And it's actually really useful when I reflect on my previous experiences where, you know, I've had emotional labor and this makes much more sense now, as well as the really practical leadership tools to use. I hope this session wasn't too emotionally laborious for you. <laughs> no, I think I'm all right. Thanks, Simon. Thanks again, Peter. Fantastic. Join us next time on Resilience Real Time. Until then, keep well. This is a Spring Fox production, hosted by me, Simon Cook, edited by Claire Taylor, music written, composed and produced by Josh Jones. Tune in next time wherever you find your podcasts or check out our website, springfox.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to help others find this podcast.